Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, great to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And today we celebrate the life of a man who played for four clubs in his decorated career, but he is a member of one of the most exclusive clubs in football. He is a Brownlow medalist for Melbourne. His name is Brian Wilson. He's in the studio. Brian, good to see you. Thanks, mate. Good to be here. It's been a while. It has been a while, mate, since we caught up, actually. So, yes. uh, no, it's good, good to come in and have a chat. Yeah, many years ago, as it seems now, but uh, you're looking well. Obviously, life's treating you pretty well. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, very, very good. You know, I've uh, kept the weight off, which is which is important, um, I guess, at, at my age. I'm you know, 58, and uh, yeah, going well. I've got a great, beautiful family, and work's going exceptionally well, so... I'm in a good space. What is work? What do you do for a living? Well, I've always been in, involved since I retired, actually, um, into branding, so uh, licenses. So the, you know, we we took on the AFL licensing way, way back in the, 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 the early 90s when it really didn't exist, and, and so I've always been involved in that. So I'm doing the, the similar things, um, you know, in, in the Olympics and all that type of stuff, and, and branching out and doing some consultancy in those areas. So I, I love it. It's, it's, it's taking a brand – you know, doing an analytical uh, review of the brand and see where it will fit in the marketplace, uh, whether it fits in a retail sector or a promotional sector, and then putting a plan and and, and documenting it, and then you know uh, getting it out into the marketplace. It's uh, yeah, it's been cool. It's been I've been doing it a long time. Is that purely here in Australia, Brian, or is it abroad as well? Well, yeah, it, it was in Australia, um, and now I've uh, you know, branched out on in, in in the states as well. So we've got um, uh, business partners over in America where we're doing we're, we're launching a lot of promotional key things um, that we're going to to uh, put out in a very big market in the states, and th- these will be big brands. You obviously spend a fair bit of time in the States. Do you enjoy doing that? It used to be, the old days used to be, well, you'd go over as an Australian, all you had to do was open your mouth and they'd fall in love with you because they love the accent. Are they still pretty heavily into the Aussies? Oh, look, they are, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it, the world's shrunk a hell of a lot now. Um, but, you know, what I love going over there is, uh, you know, I was able to catch up with with a couple of old, you know, there's some really clever Australians that are doing very well in America now. And one of the, one of my old teammates was a guy called Darren Bennett, who I yes. played with, and and um, it was really funny. I was out um, with uh, with my partner, and we were talking to to a young guy who we we now employed, and he was a punter, um, American young guy, and he came up to me and he sort of looked at me and said, "Oh, you know, you look a bit small to be playing that Aussie Rules game." And how did you do that? And who did you play for? I said, "Look, I played with Melbourne." And he goes, "Oh," he goes, "One of my coaches," and he, this guy played NFL, the young kid. 
um, was a uh, was a, a guy called Darren Bennett, and I went Billy, and we went down the path for about five minutes, and he didn't believe me. He, he said, "There's no way." And I said, "Well, put him on the phone." So, so he rang him, and Darren answered the phone, and I and actually said to the young fellow Tanner, I said, "Just just tell Billy that it's um, freak on the phone." And he goes, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I said, go on, just do that from Australia. And because that was what my nickname was amongst the boys. And um, Darren answered the phone and, and he just went crazy. And, and then <laughs> we, we spoke for like half an hour. Yeah. And I hadn't seen or spoken for Darren for maybe 25, 30 years. It speaks a lot, Brian, to the bond that exists between teammates in football, that you hadn't spoken to him for 25 years and all of a sudden you pick up where you left off uh, half an hour. It's that incredible bond when you share something like footballers do. Look, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the unique sport we played, um, we, it was very tough, you know. I mean, it's, it's it's a fantastic game now, and I love what it is, and a lot of the brutality has gone out. But, you know, I can remember starting in the late 70s, there was one umpire, and it was brutal. You know, it, it was there was lots of paybacks and even-ups. Um, you know, so the guys stayed really close to each other. Even if we, you know, back then the Demons, you know, when I was at Melbourne, we were struggling as a side, but we, we had the camaraderie. We'd all go out together, we, we'd, we'd drink together, and we'd, we'd look after each other's backs. And I think that bond is, is pretty unique in the sport of Australian rules football, and it exists today. And even to the level where, you know, I, I may not see guys for 25, 30 years, um, but I come up catch up with an old teammate and it's like yesterday mm. and and that's really special um and for me it was too i mean melbourne was was pretty pretty fabulous club for me being there nine years because i'd been at three clubs before i was 19 and played senior football at each one so you know i was a young kid that didn't didn't have any belief in in mates and friends and all that because you know i was always a fighter and fighting so hard to succeed in life um i didn't trust anybody uh, but then coming into Melbourne and and, and having Ron Barassi as a, as a mentor was amazing, um, who taught me a lot of the goal setting outside of football. And then then getting hold of you know some of the great guys like Gary Baker and you know um, Peter Giles and those guys they, they were fabulous guys that taught you about friendship. What about footy wise at home? Do you get to see much footy these days with the busy life that you're leading? Well, I I don't. Um, and, and there's two reasons. One is I don't really like going to live games. Uh, I get Why so, is that? I get so frustrated. Um, I'll sit there and it's like I go home and I feel like I've played a game because the nervous energy and, and I look and go, oh, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you move? Because I look beyond the play and I always have because that was what my unique ability was, was to be able to, to see and perceive where the ball was going to go. So you you need to look beyond the action and see upfield or you know where the players are moving, what side of the game, the, the oval they're on, and why you know and and the, and I look at it now and go, why doesn't he move to the left? You know why hasn't he got his player on this side? And I, so I get very frustrated. I, I watch crazy on the television because it's focused and you can only mm. see right at the action, um, and I love that. And, and, and the other reason is I had um, two beautiful girls, so it didn't really take me to the footy very much when we were growing up. My, my, we would go to the netball and enjoy all that. But my youngest daughter, Tyler, she um, she's a mad Melbourne supporter, and um, we went to a few games maybe four years ago, three, four years ago, and loved it. So um, luckily you know, Melbourne invite me back quite often, and uh, Tyler and I will go to the footy, and, and we actually have a great day. We, we, we have some good fun together. Do you like the way the games evolve? Because there are certain vast differences from when you played. Do you like 
everything about the game or are there certain points that you don't like? Uh, look, there is. I, I, I swore to myself that I would never compare my era to, to my, the current era because they're completely different eras mm. and games and the whole, whole everything was thing. But I love today's football. I think um, as it stands now in 2019, about 18 months ago, it wasn't too flash. But today, it, it's fabulous that the players are unique athletes. You know, their ability, both you know, left and right, is incredible. Their skill level, you know, the way they're able to to get a ball to to their teammate with an opposition two meters away. You know, you wouldn't even attempt that back in our day because you know the risk was too, was too great. Where they can drill balls, and, and I just think that the skill level. Um, and their discipline is incredible. I, I think the sad part is that they don't socially be able, they can't go out into to the world now and to be able to enjoy their successes of a game, um, they just can't do it because of the way social media works and, and the way that um, it, it's, it's now, um, you know, everyone sees anything happening within minutes. We'll talk more about the way you approach the game when you were playing a little bit later in the program. But when you were talking about the differences between your era and today, you look at a guy like Paddy Cripps. Now, he's six foot five. Uh, in your day, he would have been, well, he's the Ruckman. Absolutely. Yeah. My day was Jimmy Steins, yeah. you know, who, well, he, part of my day. I mean, I was a lot of, he, Jimmy came in um, halfway through my career and, you know, he was he was the, the new wave Ruckman. You know, now it's it's Cripps as the Ruck Rover. Yeah. It's amazing. It's seriously. And these guys, their skill level, you know, it's a credit to them. To be six foot five and be able to hold themselves the way they do mm. is amazing. Um, but, you know, they're professionals. They train. You know, we, we trained. We used to, tra- we used to train um, Tuesday, Thursday. Yep. And Monday was not compulsory. We used to go in and get ice and we would drink. Or have a few sherbets on a, on a on a Saturday because it was always a Saturday, and then we'd always go to one of the players' uh, barbecues on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you look, I, I was a, a hard trainer. I used to train very very hard myself, but when you look at that as an early to what it is today, I mean, there is just no comparison. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys, it's it's a professional occupation, and they've got the assistance to be able to help them. You know, um, to get over injuries. You know, psychologically, you know, it, it's amazing, and and it's to it's a real uh, effort um, that has to go in for every club, you know, and I think that the AFL have done a great job in being able to, you know, grow the game to the level it's at. And we've got girls. I think yes. that's incredible. Yeah, and uh, they've now got a pathway. They've now got something to aspire towards. They have, you know, and my daughter was was a player. She used to – and I can remember when um, – my wife came home and said, you know, Tyler is going to play Aussie Rules. I went, oh, no, please, no, 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 we don't want that. I didn't say it, but I was thinking it. And then um, she played at school and Tan said to me, my wife, Tanya said, well, why don't you come down and have a look? So I went down, I sat in the car and I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe the way the girls were playing in regards to how hard they went in for the ball. Um, you know, some of the skill level was, was really good, but they love what they were doing. And, and now that it's a, it's a national game for, for all, both sexes, I, th- I think it's awesome. We're going to take a break now, Brian. Uh, as I mentioned, four clubs. I think most people identify you with Melbourne, but there were three others that we need to talk about in the journey of Brian Wilson, the Brownlow medalist. We'll do that when we come back on the other side of the break. On This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with the Brownlow Middlest Brian Wilson on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Brian, turn back the clock. Tell us where the journey began. Where did you grow up? Well, it grew up um, way, way, way back in um, a place in Kensington, actually. Uh, Mum and Dad were from the country, and we had a, there was uh, four children, and they decided we were from a uh, country town in Uroa and Longwood, and Mum decided that, with Dad that wanted to give the, the children an opportunity in the big smoke. So um, we came down to Melbourne. I can remember we, um, it's, uh, I think I was maybe eight or nine, and we went out to Yarraville, and then we're waiting to apply to get a commission house. Um, so they put us in flats and <laughs> incredibly, I can still remember flat 244 Derby street. Um, and it was a, her- a horrific time for a young nine year old for 12, 18 months. Um, but it was a, 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 a time that certainly got me um, to be able to play football. I never touched a football at all until I was 10. And um, one of the guys there down on the oval, I went down one day and they said, oh, why don't you have a go? So I did and never looked back. And uh, so that was Kensington. And then um, we uh, were successful, mum and dad, to get a housing commission house, which was uh, from the government out in Braybrook. So we all moved out into the, the concrete jungle, I used to call it. And um, I can remember where I was there, uh, probably 11 or 12, and, and I, I, I hated it. I just felt that I was just the most foreign person. I, I don't know why I was put into this situation. So I had an incredible desire to succeed and, and to get out of where I was. Um, you know, my mum and dad were, were lovely people and, you know, they went to every single game I ever played. They were incredible, but they didn't have any money, you know. And uh, for me, I, I was lucky that I was clever at school and I was able to, to kick this piece piece of leather around. So um, very fortunate that um, I was at Braybrook and um, played with the great legendary Dougie Hawkins. So mm. we played together. I'd catch up with Doug every second year. And um, I don't think we, we we ever lost a grand final. We played, you know, two years under thir- two years under 11, under 13, under 15. We won them all. And then um, I can remember um, it was I was, oh, yeah, I was 15 and we won the premiership in the under 15s. And then the next week I played in the under 17s in the center and we won the premiership in the under 17s. And then the guys from Footscray came down and said, you would love to have you um, come down to the Bulldogs. So I went down at six, at 16. Uh, actually, no, I went down at 15 and played in the reserves. Um, I was doing my form three. And um, then the next year at 16, I decided um, that I, I needed to get my license and all my buddies in Braybrook those days used to drive with no license, but I couldn't do that. I had to obey by the law. So I flew over to my uncle's place in Adelaide and um, stayed there for two weeks and told the, the, um, the, the uh, people over there that um, instructors that I've got a baker's job in Adelaide and but I have to have my license within two weeks. So, so I got it and flew home. And then um, I can remember that night I picked up Doug, Doug and I, um, Doug was 17, I was 16, picked him up, borrowed dad's car and we were going into Footscray and I hadn't had it 20 minutes and ran into the back of a, of a, a trailer in another car. So, And uh, I went home and I was devastated to, to tell my dad and he was cool. He said, look, that's okay. It's a lesson learned. And um, that was my journey. So I was able to play that year in the seniors at Footscray in 1978. Um, I played four, I think four games. Um, and it was uh, it was pretty cool, you know, to go to Braybrook High School, of which I loved my schooling. So there wasn't too many people that um, did their year twelve uh, or HSC. It was back back then in in Braybrook, but I was uh, fortunate enough that 
Uh, I met a couple of guys that were good study, and we used to do that. So I, I passed my HSC, and then um, this, in, the next year at 17, uh, played seven games, I think, in the seniors and came runner-up in the Morrish medal, which is the reserves medal. And then um, a gentleman by the name of Royce Hart came in and he decided that uh, everyone was going to start again. So he met with me and basically uh, I was doing my year 12, the HSC, and, and said, look, go and do your year 12, do your study, come back in December and um, we'll see how you go. So I put on a, a hell of a lot of weight because I was studying and, and eating. And I came back and I was, I was very, very overweight. And um, he basically said, look, we used to have to do seven laps of Flemington race course in 70 minutes. That was what you had to do. And if you didn't pass it, you weren't going to play. So I went away in December and my uh, my mum and I, we joined Weight Watchers back then. <laughs> and uh, I, I lost like 23 pounds or whatever it was, kilos or something, in about eight weeks. Went down to Port Campbell and I trained Every day, ran 10 miles a day in and out of Port Campbell and lost all this weight, came back, ready to do the seven seven laps of Flemington, which I'd done two days before in like 64 minutes. I came to training and Royce and, and everyone's going, my goodness, you look amazing. Join the join the group. You don't need to, to do the the uh, seven laps. I went, wow, this is pretty cool. So they did the training and then the next night they called me up and they said, look, what we've decided is we want you to go back to the under-19s. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, we want to, I want to see your journey all the way through. This is Royce Hart. And um, I said, uh, oh, my God, what do I do? So I said, okay, look, I'll train, um, but but I, you know, I, I don't think that I should play because I've played the firsts for two years in the seniors. So I went down to the training on the Monday night, and there was 40 guys in the room, all young young kids. I was only you know young myself. And the coach, I'm not going to mention who he was, he stood up and he said, well, there's certain senior players in this room. If I've got anything to do with it, they're never going to play another game of senior football. So I waited, took my jumper off, handed it to the to the uh, the coach and walked out. Went home crying with my dad. I just, oh my, my what, what have I done? And I, I was a guy, I was I was a, a pretty tough, you know, guy with, with and a strong head, you know, and I, I was always, always confident. So, you know, I wasn't a... Yeah, you know, the perfect, um, perfect angel. But um, my dad rang rang um, Ron Joseph at North Melbourne, and um, Ron said, "Look, we'd love to have an interview." So I went over and had an interview with um, with Barassi. And you've got to remember, like, I was a mad North Melbourne supporter. So Doug and myself were, were crazy North Melbourne, you know. Um, and we used to play our game of a Saturday morning, and we'd uh, jump out in the car and drive to Arden Street, and we'd stand on the hill, and we would watch our beloved kangaroos and you know Dougie's idol was with Keith Keith Gregg and um, Dougie's career the first I don't know maybe five or six years Dougie wore the white ankle guards that Keithy Gregg did because we Mm. used to stand on the hill together and say to ourselves maybe one day we'll make it maybe one day and if we do we're going to wear the same number Um, and we did in the end he was he was number seven and I was number seven so that was you know fabulous times and then um, so uh, I went and saw Brassie and uh, he said look Young fella, he said, you're not going to play senior football for at least maybe one or two years. He said, but you'll never, you won't play under-19s. I said, Mr. Brassy, that's all I need. Uh, if you give me that opportunity, that's what I want. So, I, and I can remember today, I walked into the change room and this was, I was number 28. I had number 29, um, Snake Baker. I had number 27, Keith Gregg. Then there was Wayne Schimmelbush. There was Xavier Tanner in the centre. These are all my heroes, Ross Glendening, Ross Henshaw. You know, these were superstars. And um, I 
played, they put me on a halfback flank for the second practice match and I kicked four goals. <laughs> and they, they said, oh, well, maybe we need to put him back in the centre and maybe up forward. So, yeah. How did the journey then evolve? What happened at North Melbourne that okay, took you to Melbourne? This is, and the other super superstar that I didn't mention is Malcolm Blight. So he yeah. was our idol. So Blight is a coach. Okay, so we're there. First year at Melbourne, Brass is a, uh, at North Melbourne. Brass is a coach. So he leaves at the end of 81. Uh, sorry, at the end of 1980. And um, Blighty comes in as a coach. And and he was just, my God, this incredible superstar and a coach. The problem with Blighty was, at that time of his coaching career, he thought we were, we were all as skillful and as good as he was. Mm. So what we didn't do is we didn't do a lot of training because he didn't do a lot of training because he was that brilliant. And I, th- I think the first seven or eight games, we, we won one. It was incredibly how it happened. So what happened is that uh, he grabbed me and we went to the Black Prince in North Melbourne for lunch. Now, I committed myself that I was you know, at university. Um, I wasn't drinking, none of that. I, I wasn't into that sort of stuff. So we're sitting there and I was with my idol having a beer and he was the coach. So we had, I'll never forget, it was Crown Lagers and I'd probably had six. And he sat there and he said, Willow, no, he said, Brian, tell me what's going on. What? Tell me about what the players are. And I said, well, Blighty, we love you, love you as a player. You're an amazing player, but we don't think you're a good coach. And that was the beginning of the end of Brian Wilson. <laughs> and I can remember I was devastated, totally, totally devastated. I remember ringing, I saw it back then, it was called the Sporting Globe. Remember the pink yes, Sporting Globe? Yes, I do. I was just about to go, it was December, to go up to Queensland with my mates. And in the Sporting Globe, there's a little article saying, you know, North Melbourne Brian Wilson uh, look, is going to be traded. And I rang Ron Joseph. I said, excuse me, Mr. Joseph, you know, I've just read this article. Is it true? He goes, no, no, no. You go away, son. Go and enjoy your holiday in Queensland. Come back and you start training. So by the time I come back, I was I got I had a call from um, Barassi and... Um, he said to me, how would you like to play for Melbourne? I said, oh, Mr. Brassy, you can't do that. That's poaching. You'll get in trouble. He goes, I've got your contract signed, clearance. He said, you're a Melbourne player. And I was devastated. I just, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So what I did is I went to Queensland with my buddies, and I don't think I ever ran so hard and so fast and you know, every day, 10, 15 miles every day. I came back, and I, I had to hate the world. So my goal was to get the ball as many times as I possibly can and to show the world and myself that I'd been at three clubs at 19, but I still could play. Mm. Because if I didn't, I'd be finished. And and I played in the centre, and that year I had the most possessions in the league. I had the most, I think I had the most marks in the league. And I would, I won't say I'd push my own teammates out of the way, but I would fiercely get the ball and get it to my mate to prove to everybody that, hey, you know, this young kid could play and more so to get some pride back because I was pretty dented and um, I was very fortunate that, that at that time, you know, the, the, um, the votes were mine and, and I won the Brownlow. I, th- I got seven, seven threes and a two um, and I won it by five votes from Ross Glendening, who was yeah. my idol. I'd, I'd won a Brownlow. I was a young 20 year old. So I said to myself, well, how do I behave? What does a Brownlow medalist behave like? So instead of the jeans, I used to wear a suit. And Hertz rent a car. I, I was an ambassador at Hertz rent a car, and I, you know, I decided that you know um, my time was was going to be, a, you know, a, a what I in my mind thought a Brownlow medalist was, which was all wrong. You know, I got there through hard work and and worked very very hard, and um, I forgot about that for maybe a year or so, 
and probably people say, oh, what was your best year? But for me, it was probably 88 um, where I played on a half forward flank and I had, a, you know, the most handballs, um, more three times as many kicks. And I decided that I was going to really help them and be part of a team because of the amount of amazing young guys that weren't super talented, but we're all in it together. And, and that was something that, that I learned um, to be a team player and that you had to commit to your, to your, to your mates because you go on that field, it's a war. And, um, you know, that, that was great to be able to forget about myself and then focus on, you know, on why it is. It's, it's called a team game. Did you rock up to the Brownlow thinking that you might win it? Oh, wow. There's another, oh, I've got another little story in that one. So I was, there was two games to go and I was 25 to one. Okay. Um, and we played, and Crackers Keenan, God love Crackers. Yeah. He was he was the ruckman, and um, there was uh, there was Jared Healy and Peter Giles and you know all those guys, and they grabbed me to, with two games to go, and they said, "You're a real chance to win the Brownlow." I said, "Oh, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? This is this is crazy." They said, "No, no, no. We know we've got the inside running. You're a real chance. You're twenty five to one." And they said, "We're going to put some money on you." I said, "No matter where you are in the last two games." We're going to get you the ball. And you can imagine Crackers is a ruckman. He was just the most amazing guy. And didn't mind a punt every now and, and then. And loved a punt. And loved a punt. So so basically what happened is um, in my last uh, two games, I got a two and a three, and I won by five votes. In my last game against the Sydney Swans at the MCG, at half time I'd had maybe eight possessions. At the second half, I had 21 because <laughs> the guys were kicking it backwards. <laughs> and... Uh, and I won the and we won the Brownlow. So it, I remember coming to the to the, to that night, and I was so so nervous. I'd I'd come down from twenty five to one, backed right in, and um, I didn't have a drink all night. We drank orange juice because I swore to myself until I played a hundred games, I wasn't going to have a drink. And um, yeah, and it was at the old Southern Cross. Mm. And, yeah, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to get up and win. A uh, lot more to talk about in the career of Brian Wilson. We've touched on the Brownlow medal. We'll talk about that time at Melbourne and then going on to the Saints afterwards uh, when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Brian Wilson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Brian, uh, at the Melbourne Football Club, there was a, uh, a real sense that a premiership could be just around the corner. 1987, 1988 was about that time where the premiership window was well and truly open. But that famous game in 87 had Jim Steins not run over the mark. Who knows? You might have been in the grand final, but you probably wouldn't have been. No, I wouldn't have been, and either would have Robbie Flower, because we were both um, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Mm. Um, I'd uh, broken my collarbone in about three or four places, and and Robbie had done something similar. So um, we actually thought that that Melbourne you know, were going to win. It was done, you know. And um, if we'd have played Carlton the next week, we, we thought we were a real chance because um, we we always had the wood on Carlton, but um, unfortunately. Um, it didn't happen. Yeah. What was the mood around the place it when was, you get that close? Look, it was something where I guess at the time, like in 87, we, we won. I think we had to win our last eight or nine games in a row. Um, and so it was a momentum build. 
and 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 we'd got to the stage, and when you look at it, you know, everyone forgets, and I'm going to this poor guy's going to cop it, but Jimmy running over the mark, sure, but two minutes before that. There's a guy called Simon Eichel yep. that was one metre out from the goal. At the scoreboard end. At the scoreboard end. Yeah. And he kicked it like he did the biggest swish kick I've ever seen in my life yeah. um, and missed. You know, if he'd have, if that goal had got if, 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 you know, it would be a different scenario. But everyone, poor old, poor old Jimmy um, remembers that. But that's a critical part. But, uh, yeah, it was it was unique. And we were, I remember, in you know, when um, we caught up probably two or three uh, months afterwards in their preseason, and we were determined that we had a, a group of guys that were very young. You know, we had Gary Lyon that was a young kid, not a superstar yet. Um, you know, we had Todd Viney that was 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 a tough, you know, hard, great player. And then we had the likes of uh, Dean Sharon that would – he mm. was a tagger. You know, and they don't have those today, although they're coming back. And his job was, was as important, you know, as – you know, Jimmy Stein's in the ruck, you know, and, and, and um, we were we were determined to play well. And then in 88, we had a really great, great bunch of guys that we used to go out together socially as well. So so we, we were very close. Um, and then we, um, you know, we got into into the 88 and, and they we were exhausted the time we got there. I, I can remember on the Friday where you do the parade and we were in the gar- Flagstaff Gardens just all sitting there waiting. And, and I felt like, I was 100 years old and had 10 ton on me. Mm. And all the players later, we, we, you could see we, we were shot. And then when we came out, we, we were playing against this super, super team where, you know, they, they proved later how good they were. But we just, we'd, we'd, we were spent. We, we, our time was done. So in the back of your mind, even before you ran onto the MCG to the roar of the crowd on grand final day, the day that everybody wants to play, you knew you couldn't get it done? No, I wouldn't say that because then, then, then that's a self doubt of your mind, which you can't have. If you're going to have that doubt, you shouldn't play. We, we, we were all tr- thought, yes, we're a chance to win, but we just didn't have the energy, you know. And, and energy is an amazing thing. Nervous energy, you know, can sap the life out of out of a player mm. if he gets it wrong, and and that's pretty much what happened. You know, um, it was it was we're, we we had gone out there and we we were done. We were a, a group of many young guys. I was probably one of the the you know, experienced guy, but but we were um, you know these were kids, young young kids that were trying their hardest. They'd worked so so hard over two years, um, and they weren't a superstar group, but we're up against you know one of the toughest superstar greatest teams in you know in that era by a long way. If you lose any grand final, it will be soul-destroying. But when you're out there and you're out there for probably an hour and maybe more and you know you're going to get beaten, what sort of experience is that like, that you have to play out time, you have to get to the final siren anyway? It was the hardest three quarters I've ever played because after the first quarter, we were done. We were like – and it was the hardest thing to do. You know, do you – do I make sure my guy doesn't get a kick? Um, what do what, what do we do? How do we stop this? Do you do you drop into the back line? Do you do you go and belt somebody? You know to to cause some cause some kind of spark. You know these are the things that certainly went through my mind, and I know went through a lot of others. I guess that the young kids would have would have their hearts and and their minds they would have ducked once they dropped their head. You can imagine that the Hawthorne guys would be on top of them, and and once you go down to that level, it's very very hard to come back. You know. Um, it, it was difficult, and it, it started raining, and it, and it was worse. It was. We actually tell tell a bit of a bit of a joke. Um, one of my my mates, Jamie Dersma, who was a business partner with me for fifteen years, 
um, when we when we actually go out socially. You know, I can remember just before is that we had the biggest losing record for Melbourne until um, I think Port Adelaide, um, and yes. they beat us by three points. That was one of the greatest days. Jamie and I have ever had watching a grand final because we were cheering um, that Port would would be three points down on us, and and it did happen. But what we used to do is I'd go out and and um, I'd turn to, to um, we'd be out with some friends or some guys we'd met, and they'd say, "Oh, how, you know, how did you go in the grand final, Jamie?" And and uh, he goes, "Oh, I had twelve goals kicked on me," and the and it, which the poor bugger did because he had to, he was the only tall guy and they kept moving him onto Dunstall and all the other, and then the guys would say to me, so how did you go? And I said, well, I couldn't get a kick. So I went on Jamie and kicked three as well. So, <laughs> so we, we use that as a bit of fun, uh, but, but you have to, you know, you've got to have a, a bit of fun now that it's so far away. Yeah, if you don't laugh, you'd cry. Uh, well, we did a lot of that too. Yeah, and you probably would because of the um, devastating nature of the defeat. I've spoken to a lot of guests on the program, Brian, who talk about the scars that a losing grand final inflicted on them. Did you carry those scars for a long time? Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I'd have to say no. Um, to me, a football was a means to a beginning, not a means to an end. And that makes you a very different animal to a lot of football. Completely different, you know, and I am, and I always was. And that's why people didn't understand. They would think, you know, Brian Wilson, he's so, he's, you know, early days I was, um, wouldn't they wouldn't know me in regards so I'd be in there trying to get the ball to prove myself. And then later I would try and do the best for the team or kick the, the winning goal and all that type of stuff. And people would perceive me as, you know, as a show pony. And, and But I loved living on the edge. So I loved either I performed and, and I did really well, or if I didn't perform and I got a kick in the butter or the, the press would have a go at me, then rightly so. So that was my um, determination and, and what needed me to get going, um, where football now is – is a completely different game. You know, you, you, you're you trained and you're mentally taught in many, many different facets. You don't come in with either a chip on your shoulder. It doesn't exist anymore. You don't come in um, coming from a poor f- family where you've got it, you're fighting and fighting to earn money to live. That doesn't exist. So so the game for these young guys now is very different and, and thankfully so. Just with regards to that 88 loss, you said that you didn't carry the scars too much. Do you think the football club as a whole carried the scars, though? When you get that close, you're you robbed of it in circumstances in 87. You belted up in 88. Did that affect the football club going forward? Well, it didn't because later on, you know, the, the Gary Lyon and the boys played in another grand final. Mm. I think that was the one. You know, the, that was at 91. I think it was 91. I can't remember now. My, that one there, the one that they played in, it might have even been later than that. No, no, it would have been later than that. That was the one to – I was devastated. You Are know, we talking about 2000? Two, well, it is 2000. God, so long ago. Yeah. The 2001. You know, I I thought, you know, that that was probably the one that really, really, you know, um, put Melbourne back a long, mm. long way. When we played, we were a really good bunch of guys that weren't super, super talented, but – we were all together and hard, mm. you know, that can only be sustained for two years, which it did two, three years. Then in, in 2000, I mean, you had some superstar young guys all together. And I thought when we got whacked out of it, then that was the one. And then, you know, like last year, you know, look what happened last year, preliminary, it was another belting, Yeah, you know, and, and 
I was guess... that one of the biggest cases of stage fright you've seen? I yeah. was actually there and calling the game that day, and it, it just looked that way. Yeah, to me. it did. The, the the guys were all, all deers with headlights yeah. coming, and that's just what it was, you know. And and I, and I think that's gone into this season as well. That's why the demons have unfortunately haven't been, you know, as, as well as everyone thought. And and that's about there's a word called culture, mm-hmm. okay? And culture is what. You have to create, you know, Collingwood Football Club. They've, yeah, they've had culture for 100 years, but but they've now got a great culture because the coach was go- they wanted to sack. The club said no, and the, the players rallied around Buckley, and he's now um, blossoming to the great coach that he was always going to be, you know, and that's culture, yeah. you know. Um, Hawthorne. Hawthorne has a culture, you know, and they've had a culture f- since the, the late 70s, and that culture will never change. Mm-hmm. Melbourne, they haven't, they haven't had a culture. We haven't had a culture. And, and, you know, is it, do we need to be tough? I don't know. What, but we need to create our own culture. Now, what that is, um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what that is, but we've got to get to a stage where we can build on something year after year after year. It doesn't matter who comes in. It's a method and a culture. And and Geelong, look at Geelong now. That's what they've been building. You know, I mean, you know, um, he's got a 71%, I think, uh, win rate. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah, it's incredible. Because where did he come from? He came from a Lee Matthews culture, which is a Hawthorne inbred culture, from a triple premiership, and he's brought that into Geelong, you know, and and he's still there and, and he's still able to create this amazing culture and the administrators are incredibly – they've been there a long time, you know, so they know that's a culture. Does mm. Melbourne have a culture? No. You know, two years ago, three years ago, you know, we had to get the AFL to come in to help us. You know, when I was there, we had a vote as to whether we were going to join with and amalgamate with Hawthorne Footy Club. Yeah, the Velcro Hawk, the famous Velcro yeah, Hawk yeah, and Don know, Scott. And the Don Scott said no, you know. Yeah. So that's what I think is missing and, and – you know, if a young guy comes in and, and a senior player will come up to him and and say to him, okay, this is how we play as a Melbourne team. This is what we do and this is how you do it, you know, and this is what you've got to get to and, and attain to this level. Otherwise, you're not going to be a place in the side. That's what I don't know that's at Melbourne. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm only a spectator. You know, I don't, don't go down there. But the guys are, are an incredibly talented bunch of guys and, and I think that the talent's there. And I think that this year, um, the injuries have certainly occurred. But some of the, you know, the superstars that were going to be and they've been written up, they've had a tough year. And you know what? I think it's going to be good for them because they'll fight or flight. That's what they'll do. You know, they'll learn as young guys. This was a tough season. The second half is really important. And they've got to play as a team. They've got to play as one. Forget about the score, but get their systems and methods right. And, you know, 2020, who knows? We're talking about one football club that hasn't won a flag since 1964. We're just about out of time. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll talk about another club that hasn't won a flag since 1966, the Saints. And you went there, and there might be a bit of a story in how you got there. We'll find out from Brian Wilson when we come back on the other side of the break. Our final segment on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
Just about out of time with the Brownlow medalist, Brian Wilson. Uh, so much more we could catch up on. But, Brian, I wanted to talk about the transition. So you've had three clubs. You've been at Footscray, North Melbourne, the successful time at Melbourne from an individual sense, if not a team sense, not all the way anyway. How did you find yourself at the Saints? Well, that was that was interesting. Um, it was uh, the last game in, in 1990 out at Waverley. I pulled my hamstring just before we were to go into the finals. So um, I retired. That was it. I'd finished. I'd had enough. Um, my, my passion wasn't there. The desire wasn't really there. Um, so I decided that that's it. Retirement's ready to go, ready to, to look at uh, in the business sector. And um, from October, so September through to, to October, I, I kept getting a phone call from St Kilda, from Kenny Sheldon, who was the coach, and um, um, Peter Hudson, who was the, the, the football manager, and they kept ringing me, Willow, you know, we'd love you to come to St Kilda. We want you to teach the kids, and um, we, we'd, we, we want you in the pocket next to Plugger. You know, you kick an easy couple of goals a game. You'll be there for four or five years, um, but we want your experience. And, and, I, and I said, look, guys, that would be lovely, but I'm, no, thank you. I'm not there. So they, they, they rang me every week for eight weeks. And um, it was uh, late November and I was at home and it was a Friday night. Now, back then, they didn't have mobile phones. So you had a, the phone in, in the house. And the phone used to ring at about 5.30, 6 o'clock every Friday. Um, and I was with my mate, a great mate of mine, a guy called Marty Kemp. And uh, we're, we're having a few drinks and we're, we're about to go out and the phone rang. And I said, okay, it's just, watch this. He goes, what, what is it? I said, mate, have a listen to this. So I picked the phone up and I had it so that he could hear. And there was, um, there was someone from St Kilda Football Club. And I said to them, I said, look, unless you can have $30,000 in a brown paper bag at my house tomorrow, please leave me alone. And we hung up and we started laughing and that, that was hilarious. And we went out. So the next morning, Marty stayed at my house in Essendon and um, the next morning he knocks on my bedroom door and he goes, there's, there's someone at the door. I said, well, answer. He goes, no, 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 they want to see you. And I think, oh, goodness, what, what's happened? Mm. So I go to the door and then there, there's a guy standing there and he looks me up and down. He goes, yep, you're Brian Wilson. And he gave me a brown paper bag. And I went, what's this? He goes, no, 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 do I sign anything? No, 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 you're right. So I went out, grabbed it, we went into the kitchen and I opened this bag and there was... $30,000 cash. <laughs> and I turned to my mate, Marty. I said, oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? He said, we're going to go out and spend the money and you're playing for St. Kilda. <laughs> <laughs> and um, away we went. And I, the first thing I had to do was, was get to know Plugger. He was a hard guy to get to know. So I said to the club, well, you know, practice matches and all that, I want a room with the big fella. So we get to know. And, and we would do, when we do run-throughs, I would always be with Plug. Plugger and I would be together. And uh, we struck up a fantastic relationship. He's just a lovely, lovely man. So cut a long story short, um, we played uh, a few games and then we played Melbourne at the MCG. So what this, was that experience like? Oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So I can remember walking in the change room, which is the old Richmond change rooms, all dressed in yellow and black. And I was really, really keen to do well. So I've gone up and Kenny Sheldon's come over to me and he said, well, I... We're going to start you on the bench. Now, when you back in my day, when you played on the bench or started on the bench, that was the worst insult you could do. Mm. It just was. You never went to – it just didn't, didn't work. And I said to Bomber, I said, mate, you can't do that to me. I said, I'm at the MCG. I've got all these people in Melbourne. Please don't. He said, no, no, no. We're worried that you're going to upset the team balance with what you could do because he could see I was pretty psyched. So I grabbed my bag. I was within – 
turning around and walking out. But I said, I can't do that because I don't want to upset St Kilda Footy Club. So I got dressed. And then what happened is I went to the interchange bench, which was the, the MCC members. That's where the bench was. Mm-hmm. And you could imagine, as I sat down and the game started, the members went absolutely feral. They had some advice for you? Oh, they had lots of advice. Yeah. Was yeah. any of it anatomically possible? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> and I can remember. So I'm waiting. I'm sitting there. It's like two minutes, five minutes. And then the phone rang. And Bomber goes, go and do your thing. And I went full forward. I kicked seven. Uh, and then I, I remember the very, very last, within two minutes to go, um, I, it's a dream come true. The ball's come down. I mark it. I go back. I kick the winning goal. And then I ran to the members' members reserve. And I put my fingers up, both hands, as in the two-finger <laughs> salute. And they've gone absolutely deathly silent. <laughs> We feel very grateful to have been able to reminisce with you over the last hour or so on a brilliant career. As far as football is concerned, it seems as though you're continuing that in the business world. Brian, it's been great to sit down and have a chat to you. Nice to catch up. And good to see you, Pete. Good make on you, mate. Another, Let's not make it another 30 years. Uh, let's not. <laughs> Brian Wilson, the Brownlow medalist, joining us. Hope you enjoyed that edition of This Is Your Sporting Life, a Tobin Brothers funeral celebrating lives. We'll have another great of Australian sport. Same time next week. Hope you can join us then. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.